Hi there, listeners. Welcome to Random Talks of Kindness, a.k.a. Group Therapy for America. Because sharing isn't just about caring. It has the power to bring us closer together. I'm Monica O'Leary-Singh, and this is Random Talks of Kindness. Hi there, listeners. Uh, my guest today is Jeff Parnes. Today, we're going to dive into his life story and unwrap it as it pertains to how you still have hope and how you still make a difference even when your heart hurts and even when bad things happen on a daily basis. I know many people out there are struggling with the inundation of news and events and we're trying to figure out our place in the world and how we can still have a positive impact. And I think Jeff is a great example of this. You know, I think everybody says that altruism is fundamentally selfish. And what I've learned in this journey is um, I think God has physically wired human beings to feel good by helping other people. And scientists have proven this, right? I mean, you can measure all sorts of levels of endorphins and neuro neurology and biochemistry. It, it physically feels good to help people. And I think we were made that way for a purpose. And I think I see this in the context of you know, everybody in this world has a divine purpose and a mission. And I think repairing the world and continuing to create it and pick up the broken pieces and bring people together in that process is, is one way to contribute. So, you know, this whole thing got started two years after 9-11 in 2003. And there were a lot of things that were happening personally in my life. Um, my sons were five and two at the time. I, I was reading a book about fatherhood, thinking, you know, what, what did my father or stepfather ever proactively do in their life to teach me a positive lesson by example? And I wanted to be cognizant of that as my kids were like suddenly learning from me by who I was as a father and a human being, not just by what I was telling them. And I was also reading a book about Giuliani's book on leadership uh, that I wrote after 9-11. And, you know, thinking about what's the essence of what we all take away from that experience to, to make sure that the world is not a, the same place as it was on the day before. I was also reading a third book, Poe Bronson, What Should I Do in My Life? Right, Because I think like a lot of people in 2003, we're all sort of stuck thinking, what matters? And where should we be headed? So there was this confluence of events that happened. And I was still struggling with the loss of my friend Chagai Shefi, who was killed in the towers on 9-11. And I was thinking about Chagai every day. So how all this soup came together was November 1st, 2003. My five-year-old son Evan gets into a fight with his little brother Josh over one toy. And I was, you know, trying to talk to him. I'm like, listen, you, you have hundreds of toys. There are kids a few blocks away in Harlem who have nothing. Very little. And how appreciative you should be. So in the middle of this conversation, CNN comes on. And it was a story about the San Diego wildfires and a story of a little girl who lost her Sleeping Beauty Halloween costume when her house burned down. And I looked at my son Evan and I'm like, listen, you wore three costumes yesterday for Halloween. This little girl in California just lost everything in this terrible wildfire. And I looked at him and I said, well, what would you do to help a girl in that situation? And, you know, part of it was out of a frustration sense of a parent of, like, I was trying to challenge this child who was so focused on his own possessions to break out of that cycle to say, wait, but we're watching in real time as a child your age just lost everything across the country. What would you do to help? And he looks at me very seriously and he's like, well, you know, maybe some of the toys I don't play with that much. And maybe some of Josh's too, because he was already thinking how to give away his little brother's toys. Maybe we could put them in a box and mail them to Aunt Molly in San Diego because my sister-in-law lives there. And then he says, well, maybe Aunt Molly could go to the shelter and find the mom and give them to the girl. As a five-year-old, he was piecing this together chronologically. 
And then I shut up because I wanted him to absorb what he just said, and I wanted to absorb it. And then he looks at me, you know, maybe we should put some clothes and some coins in the box for a little girl too. Like he was thinking what else this little girl might need. Now, I had never had a conversation with him about philanthropy or service, but that week at the Road of Shalom Day School, uh, Rabbi Matt Gewurz had come through to the kids talking to them about mitzvah day, the importance of helping people in need. So he was in instantly synthesizing what he just learned, you know, in the synagogue school. And, you know, as a dad, I, in my personality, I'm always about dreaming big. So I looked at him, I'm like, well, what if we collect toys from all the kids in our 35-story apartment building who were at the Halloween party last night? And, oh, dad, we could send lots of stuff. So long story short is three days later, we had 100 volunteers. We had 500 people load up a 17-foot U-Haul truck in front of my apartment building. Three days later, me and two friends drove from 96th Street and Broadway in Manhattan to San Diego, filled with relief supplies for the fire victims, and a big sign on the side that said, New York says thank you. You know, it was my way of paying homage to Haggai, and it was my way of teaching my son a lesson about sharing. But I also wanted to make a statement that we would never forget what people did for us in our time of need. And quite honestly, I always wanted to do a cross-country road trip, right? Which comes back to this altruism is fundamentally selfish. We went up on 22 television news programs across the country. Little boy in New York who wanted to help a little girl in California. All these New Yorkers joined in as a way to say thanks for the love and support after 9-11. All these Americans cross-country were filling our truck up. So I learned very quickly about the power of positive news. People wanted to tell this story. Went back five times to understand how you use technology to help disaster victims recover. Wrote a book about the experience. The day I finished the book, May 15th, 2004, Evan was still five. He's watching the Weather Channel in the other room, comes into my home office with a very serious look on his face. Dad, when Josh and I grow up, could we drive the truck if there's a tornado in Iowa? So, you know, this innocent suggestion from a child where, as a father, I showed him how you could share with people across country by doing something insane, like driving across country. He's sitting there connecting the dots, saying, well, when I grow up, could I do this too? Mission accomplished. You know, so it was this real spark of innocence and compassion from a child that led to the creation of New York says Thank You Foundation. It's now 15 years later. This year, we'll have our 700,000th volunteer around the world doing something kind in some small way, big way, to make this world a better place. So, you know, I tell people, it's like it's 15 years later, I told my wife I was going to take a week off to drive cross-country. You know, I took myself out of investment banking on Wall Street where I could have made a lot of money and, you know, volunteered for seven years until we started building out the foundation a little bit. I still struggle to pay my credit card bills every month, but I also feel like the richest guy in the world because I get to meet people like you. And to know that we made an impact for so many people who were at their lowest point because we decided to jump into the foxhole with them. And New York Says Thank You has taken volunteers from New York, from human, man-made and natural disasters around the country and now in places around the globe as well and brought people together to build something after the event. Now you've also stepped into this next role of Stars of Hope, which to me is, you know, New York says thank you is a big thing, but Stars of Hope seems like a tangible thing that we can just do. So New York says thank you, after the truck drive, when Evan had the idea, we were known for doing one thing a year, right? Which is we would take New York City firefighters and ground zero construction workers and other volunteers from New York, and we'd send them to some small little town nobody's ever heard of after tornadoes or wildfires, hurricanes, and do barn raisings. 
and it grew exponentially because people from all these small towns that we went out of our way to help, every year they would show up wherever we were going the next year as their way to pay it forward, right? So, you know, we used to joke around, it grew into this huge dysfunctional family of all these disaster survivors. It wasn't until we were in Texas in 2007 when Pia Hoffman, who was the crane operator at Ground Zero, picking apart the debris, looking for bodies, she came down to Texas um, to help build the Vincent family home in Grosbeck. And I saw her uh, two weeks after that trip, and she comes up to me, she's got a thick accent. Oh, you know, that trip to Texas finally let me put 9-11 behind me, and I'm coming on these trips for the rest of my life. And it was when Pia said that to me, things sort of changed in my mind, because I thought up until that point what we were simply doing was rebuilding stuff, right? We were, whether the homes burned in fires or hurricanes or tornadoes, but what I suddenly realized then was that 51% of the value we were creating was going to the volunteers because it was empowering survivors to heal by helping others, which is not intuitive until you're in the middle of all this. So that was sort of the core theme that really developed about how do you empower people to heal by helping others. Now, New York says thank you grew into all these other organizations, CJ's Bus Foundation, where we were taking care of kids in disasters and Build for Life, where we were helping to rebuild the homes of cancer patients in disaster areas, and Tony's Room, where we were building clean rooms for kids with leukemia. Um, and then Stars of Hope comes along. And, and this is by far the biggest thing we will ever do because it, it's so fundamental. It's about how do you express compassion through creativity and connect to somebody you need to hope. So how it got started was we showed up in the town of Greensburg, Kansas, uh, which on May 4th, 2007 was obliterated by an EF5 tornado. 95% of the town was destroyed, 13 fatalities. Middle of nowhere, south central Kansas. And we showed up a few months later in November, and it was a cold gray day, and the winter was coming, and the town looked like Nagasaki. And you had 220 kids living in FEMA trailers in a field south of town where they had to go through a nuclear war zone to go get a quarter of milk. And I remember thinking, like, I'd been a 20, you know, 28 trips to the Gulf Coast, but I had never seen anything like this, because this place was completely devastated and it was completely isolated. But there were kids. And I was thinking, like, well, how do you empower the kids? So we had this silly little idea of what if we have them paint inspirational words and messages and one-foot wooden stars and we'll plant them in every corner of the town. So I called up the Vincent family in Grosbeck, Texas, whose home we just helped build in September. This is now November 07. And I, I was on the phone with James and Eva Vincent. I'm like, have you still got wood lying around from our build? Yeah. Have you got the table saw? Yeah. Okay, well, great. I need you to cut out 221-foot wooden stars and 224-foot wooden spikes. And I need you to drive them nine hours from Grosbeck, Texas to Greensburg, Kansas. And I'll meet you here with a couple of the New York City firefighters. And we'll paint inspirational words and messages with the kids in Greensburg. And we'll plant the stars in every corner of the town. Mm. So it was the day before Christmas. Uh, they brought in every child from kindergarten through high school. And we told them the story of New York. Says, thank you. Well, there was a little boy in New York who wanted to help a little girl in California. The people in California, they helped the people in Illinois. They helped the people in Louisiana, who helped the people in Indiana, who helped the people in Texas. Here are the folks in Texas. They just cut out these stars. And then we looked at the kids and we said, we want you to think of one word that if your friends, family, or neighbors were having a bad day, if they saw that word, it would put a smile on their face and go paint it on a star. We found out that that Christmas break, the kids were pulling their parents and grandparents out of the FEMA trailers and forcing them to drive up and down every corner of Greensburg Tech. Uh, Kansas looking for their stars. Oh. So it reconstituted the sense of community when there were no landmarks anymore. So the stars have now showed up in 220 communities in 26 countries around the world. We are very quickly approaching our 100,000th star. Wow. 
which on average, if every star has been seen by somebody in a time of need a thousand times, that means a hundred million moments of inspiration. You know, Hurricane Sandy was six years ago. You go to some of the communities on Long Island and the Rockaways Broad Channel, they're still on every telephone pole. Really? In town of Massapequa, Long Island, which was flooded by Sandy, uh, it was a year ago in the summer, the town swapped out the old telephone poles for new poles. The moms got together in Massapequa, took the stars off of the old poles, put them back up on the new ones. Because they wanted to remind the kids that even though catastrophes like hurricanes could happen, look what happens when people come together to express love and compassion. It creates a whole new mindset. Um, we actually just had our first formal 10-year mental health impact study that was done by Florida State University researchers on the Stars of Hope's impact on survivors of the San Bernardino terror attack, survivors of the Pulse nightclub terror attack in Orlando, survivors on the Greensburg, Kansas tornado, and the impact on survivors of the Sonoma wildfires in Santa Rosa. And the research proved exactly what we've known all along for years, that the stars remind people that they're not alone. So, you know, when you think about the importance of human connection and what are those things that we could do to let somebody else know that they matter, hundreds, if not thousands of messages we've gotten from people around the world years after the tragedy, you will have no idea how much that little star hope meant to me at my darkest moment. Because it made me remember that there, there's good in the world when all you're sometimes looking at is destruction, whether it's physical or emotional. You know, the guy who is our director of operations for our foundation now and runs the Stars of Hope program is Josh Garcia. And he was a survivor of the Pulse nightclub. Right? Stars brought him back to life, put him in a healthy situation. Okay, let's go do something. And in many ways, you know, Josh, and he was director of operations for the company that owned Pulse Nightclub and five other restaurants. And so to have him two years after his tragedy in this position to go make it possible, and we're watching every single day. I mean, right now we're responding to the Carolina hurricanes, the Florida hurricanes, mass shootings in Pittsburgh, Tallahassee, Thousand Oaks, and the Northern California fires and the Southern California fires. So instead of one barn raising a year, we're now watching on an hour-by-hour -hour basis there are people around the world creating stars of hope to lift up the emotional spirits of all these folks. And that's one of the things that's never really understood and never really addressed, which is how do you support people's long-term emotional recovery? Well, these stars are doing it every single second of every day for years. I have a box. Uh-huh. And on Thanksgiving, I'm going to do it with awesome. my family. And Absolutely then awesome. we'll have to contact you. Do, you, do we send them back to you and yeah. you send them someplace? So, so there, are two, there, are two, there are two ways to do it. You know, we, years ago... Um, you know, we would paint every year at the 9-11 Family Day. Uh, the museum asked us to integrate Stars of Hope into their Family Day as, again, another way, how do you reclaim a place that's otherwise sad mm -hmm. with something that's hopeful? Well, you create something fun for families to do together to help somebody else. And it was years ago, at Family Day, people kept coming up to us saying, could my, could my kids do this at their birthday party? And we're like, well, why not? Because there are a lot of people who need hope in the world and we can't be everywhere. So again, it forced us creatively to think, how do you how do you put it in a box? How do you distribute it so that families can volunteer together? Not everybody can come to a barn raising in Greensburg, Kansas from Grossbeck, Texas, but any family could sit around the dining room table and talk to their kids about, well, who needs hope? Well, I heard that was something terrible in the news. Let, let's make Stars of Hope for them. So, so now we have Stars of Hope Box of Hope in just like $100 and 15 stars and brushes and a beautiful magazine to ask your kids these questions about 
who needs hope and what are the words that could lift their spirits and how do we connect. And this last week we actually went live with our mini box of hope for $45. But that's a real blessing to see how now all these families are now volunteering together around their dining room table or at birthday parties or at family gatherings. And we instructed them in the box, listen, you know, if there's somebody in your neighborhood, it might be the little lady down the street who needs a lift of the spirits. You know, go hang stars and from ribbons in the tree, create a hope tree. Mm-hmm. Right? It might be a local firehouse or a nursing home or a children's hospital, right? It could be a catastrophe around the country, around the world. So we, we tell people it's really up for you to decide. So if, it could be something small, local. Absolutely. Or you could send them back to us and or what we do is um, every time one of these major catastrophes happens, we find local volunteers that are willing to be the local hope bank where we could send it directly to them and then they and their friends and family will hang them in the community. So it's really growing to the point where we can't keep up with it every day, which is really a great problem to have. And I gotta tell you something, it was kind of hard to get away from the barn raising model because we had such a, you know it, I mean, we had such a tight community of people who would get together every year and, and party and build and there was so much emotion that was all tied up in it. And not all of it positive, quite honestly. I think some of the the realizations I had was, especially after the 10th year anniversary when you keep bringing New York City firefighters back to that day through a ritual and the bagpipes, you know, I realized that sometimes you could create platforms to help people to heal, but for some it could become toxic over time if you're bringing them back to the sadness, mm-hmm. right? So the fact that we were doing these projects every year on the 10th anniversary, on, on the weekend before the anniversary of 9-11 was really powerful on one hand, but it was also a catch-22 on the other hand, which is why Stars of Hope, it, it, it's devoid of that, right? Mm-hmm. You, people need hope every single day. People have the ability to express compassion every single day. One of the greatest compliments my father, who I don't have a very close relationship with, one of the nicest things he ever said to me years ago when he saw Stars of Hope, really exploding around the world. He says to me, you know, Jeff, you really like Mr. Rogers. Mm-hmm. Greatest compliment ever paid. Definitely. Greatest compliment ever paid. And, you know, Mr. Rogers' philosophy about how do you approach kids with all the tragedy there is in the world? And, you know, his guidance about, well, you know, when things are scary, look for the helpers. Mm-hmm. Right? Well, we're taking it one step further because we're turning the kids into helpers. You can't, you know, naturally you want to shield your kids from harm and the tragedy, but you can't. And especially with technology and social media, they're going to hear about it anyway. So I think Stars of Hope is really changing parenting because it's it's empowering the parents with a safe way and a creative way to say, okay, something sad happened, but this is what we could do. Well, and you and I have discussed how, for me, doing this podcast is about moving away from my fear and embracing something new and different and and going forward with my fear, it seems like Stars of Hope is a way for people to do something good even when they're scared. Mm-hmm. I never could have imagined how meaningful it is. I mean, we've received messages from people who were suicidal, who expressed that, you know, after Hurricane Sandy and they had no insurance money and they were locked in their home, and they were ready to end it. But I saw a star of hope on a telephone pole on my block that said, this too shall pass. The, um, the Rebbe talked about how one small candle can illuminate the world, right? Now it's fascinating. Scientists will prove that from 14 miles away, the human eye could see the light of one candle. From 14 miles away, you could still pick up a flicker of a light. 
So I think this world needs a lot of positivity, right? I mean, engaging people in a conversation like this where one other person could listen to it and something might resonate with them in a thoughtful way, this is about how you introduce more light into the world, right? It's okay to talk about the tough subjects. It's okay to talk about mass shootings and hurricanes and wildfires and stuff. And I think, is the world getting worse? I don't know. I mean, you know, it's the, the needles move, right? I mean, you might have more mass shootings, but you have less people dying of polio. But I think with media in particular, it just sort of takes that cycle to a level that's not sustainable for human beings emotionally. Like you get bombarded with all this stuff. So it's okay, you know, people are learning, turn off Facebook, turn off the TV, but you still have that, oh my God, this just happened. You know, so I, I tell people, you know, New York says thank you, used to be in the hope and healing business in a linear way, but now with Stars of Hope, we're in the exponential hope and healing business. Because you could only do one barn raising a year and then you gotta go look for the next opportunity, but now we're teaching all these people how to fish. And I think it's really important because I think that both New York says thank you and Stars of Hope is so much based on what you stand for, what you've said a thousand times that, you know, for us, it, it's not just September 11th, it's what happened on September 12th. 12th. That's right. It's not just what happens when the fires hit California, it's what happens when everybody rebuilds. The kindness and compassion is so much greater than the terror. Yeah. And this is just a simple way to put hope in a box. And I think that you don't have to do something for every event, you can just do something small for one group right. and just just do whatever you're capable of in whatever manner, in a doable fashion, so that if you can help that group, it allows you to not just focus on the big, just the devastation, but focus on what can we do after it. So, so I hope there's a billionaire listening to your podcast right now. Me too. Because I have a very simple suggestion which is sent us, not all your money, but a lot of it. <laughs> because the thing that we tapped into, kids have a limitless sense of hope. They have a limitless sense of compassion. We adults, we get overwhelmed. We oh my God, how can you, you turn it off? We did a Stars of Hope painting event with third and fourth graders at Columbia Grammar Prep School in Manhattan a couple years ago in response to the wildfires in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. And the principal at that time had actually tasked the third and fourth graders, well, not only will you be doing the Stars of Hope to help these folks in Tennessee, but you're going to teach the first graders and the kindergartners the following week what Stars of Hope is about, why it's important, and how to do it. So when it came time to paint with the third and fourth graders, and I was asking the kids, what words you know, do you think would lift somebody's spirit up that you're going to paint? It's one little girl. She was in third or fourth grade. Well, I'm going to paint Be Yourself. And I looked at her in front of the group, and I'm like, well, why, you know, of all the words to think about, why be yourself? Now, keep in mind, this was in response to the wildfires in Tennessee and Gatlinburg. So when I asked her, why be yourself? She says, well, I could imagine that there was probably a family with kids, and they used to have dinner every night at their dining room table, and that was their routine, but their house has gone now, and maybe they're somewhere else. And so because they're not doing their routine, maybe they're forgetting who they were as a family before the fire. So I want to remind them to be themselves. Third grade kid said those exact words at the exact same speed. Hmm. The teachers were falling out off their chairs. This limitless sense of hope. So the billionaire who's listening, it's very simple. The terrible fires in paradise that just happened, I could have 5,000 kids in Santa Rosa, California schools painting Stars of Hope tomorrow. Hmm. 
what better way to empower the kids who've just been through this, right? And we're working on that. But we can have every kid. There's no reason that every kid shouldn't be part of this, that this shouldn't be, you know, we, we have the Bicultural Hebrew Day School in um, Stamford, Connecticut. It was the first school in the country that created an official Stars of Hope club. So it's now part of their school's infrastructure. So anytime something happens in the world, this school and their community respond by painting Stars of Hope. It's, it's part of their culture now. What a wonderful way to respond to things. Uh, it, you know, yesterday some of the kids from Bicultural were painting at the Jewish Community Center in Stamford. And they were painting with their parents. And the parents were telling one of our, uh, our coordinators, Fran Chef Maurer, oh yeah, my kids tell me about this all the time. They paint at uh, school in response. This is great that I could do it, right? So the kids are now mm -hmm. teaching the parents. So the answer to the question about, it's not just the project stars of hope, but it's about we all have this desire to want to make a difference in one other person's life. And we all have compassion. So when these tragedies happen, do you waste it? Or do you do something with it? And so if we all do it once, or if we make it part of a family tradition, or birthday parties, or holidays, or buy a box and make it possible for a classroom to do it, there's enough compassion in the world to heal everybody. You just have to bring it out and put it in front of people. It goes back to the DNA, mm. right? I mean, we want to be cared for. We want to know somebody else cares for us. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. You know, so it's not to take anything away from the barn raisings. The barn raisings were absolutely unbelievable experiences. Incredible. The fact that we had so many of those opportunities for years, 10 years, you know, Annie's house, I mean, Little Sioux, the Greensburg, Kansas, I mean, these unbelievable communities that have forever been changed because we showed up there to take our pain from 9-11 and do something positive to help somebody else and lift them up. And to know that, you know, years later, they're still paying dividends. You know, the last barn raising we did in, in Bethel Acres, Oklahoma, for an animal rescue barn and horse barn, you know, she... Megan works with a lot of kids who are troubled, who come through the psychology, you know, psychological healthcare system. She works with a lot of veterans with severe PTSD. And I, these are pictures we can show, but you never know, right? So I think the answer is whether it's Stars of Hope or something simple as smiling at the stranger. So I think when you go down the road of this journey with Stars of Hope, you suddenly realize, yeah, we're all created in the image of God. And we should all love our neighbor, you know, and we should pursue peace with the same intensity of pursuing peace as somebody trying to kill us. But the peace I think you find in your own heart by knowing that, yeah, there are difficult things in the world, but if you find one simple way to connect to one other human being, the world's a better place. I love it. So do I. And I think that you are honoring your friend Haggai Sheffi very amazingly. I know I want to, part of my mission in life is to carry on a legacy for my friends that I lost. And I'm sure that it's a part of your life mission as well. And uh, I think you'd be super proud. He, he would tell me to focus, focus, focus. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was his mantra. And I'm like, yeah, Hug, I am focusing just on 20, 20 different things, including running for president someday, right? I'll vote for you. Listen, apparently a whole bunch of people have been writing my name in for president ever since we built the church in Dugoni Springs, Indiana. <laughs> and I think I'm up to like a 6% chance of actually running. But I'm seriously thinking about it, about the responsibility of running for national office. Because, listen, we have a phenomenal Great. story to tell. Mm -hmm. We took the worst day in modern American history and did something positive with it by bringing people together. So even if you don't win, but you could use the platform of running to inspire people as to, well, what could you do to help your neighbor? Yeah, and the community building. To that regard, uh, one final question for you. Mm -hmm. 
my motto is ripples of love, waves of change. What would you like the ripples of your life to be? I've always uh, been a big believer you should live your life from your eulogy backwards. I like that. I agree with that. And, uh, you know, years ago I realized if I keep doing this, there'll be a lot of cool people at my funeral, including Waylon Thibodeau, who I hope plays Cajun music, because it would be really cool to have guys from Louisiana there. When we drove cross-country the first time to Harbison Canyon, and when we went back that September 11th, 04, which was our first official trip as a foundation, we brought 11 New York City firefighters with us on that trip. Not only 14 of us, but three of them had survived the towers. And at the end of that Saturday build on September 11th, Tana Harbison had this beautiful little barbecue and this dais set up to honor all the firefighters. And I was in the very back of the crowd. And this woman, Bucky Blotton, who had helped organize locally, Jeff, you, you should get up there with them. You gotta go up there. I mean, you help make the, I looked at her, I'm like, no, 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 this is, the, this is for them. And I wanted to be in the back of the crowd because I wanted to see what my efforts made possible by creating an environment where they could be honored. So in Hebrew, there's the word mitzvah, which a lot of people know, which is a commandment to do a good deed. But there's a lesser known word called zechut, which is to give somebody else the honor of doing the good deed. So it took me a while years ago to remember, I'm not really in the mitzvah business, I'm in the zechut business. Yes. Because what I get off on is making it possible for so many other people to do the mitzvahs. So I think the ripples that I want to see are not necessarily the monuments of the structures that we've built around the country or the world, but just to know that generationally what we've started is getting passed down so that other people. You know, when I think about the Vincent family in a small town in Texas, they're now into the third generation of that family that's grown up with Stars of Hope. And these kids who are in otherwise geographically, you know, isolated place, know that they're part of something that's lifting the spirits of children in Nepal. So I think those connections are holy. I agree. So yeah, my greatest legacy, I think, will be the relationships. Amazingly, your ripples are already being felt. I'm one of your ripples, so it's beautiful and it's wonderful. And thank you for sharing your path through tragedy and changes and growth all the way to this beautiful, compassionate connection that you make through the Stars of Hope. So thank you for sharing all of that with us. Thank you for letting me share it. Jeff Parnes, you are always inspiring. You can follow, we can all follow you on Facebook. Yeah, no, it's Stars of Hope USA. Is on starsofhopeusa.org is the website, Stars of Hope USA on Facebook, and Jeff Parnas. And uh, New York says thank you. We don't post so much stuff because almost everything is Stars of Hope now. Okay, wonderful. Thank well, you. thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks. I'm Monica O'Leary Singh. Thanks for tuning in to Random Talks of Kindness. To keep up with all our episodes, remember to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. Visit Random Talks of Kindness for bonus materials and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Talks of Kindness. We'd love to hear from you.